0: This morning scripture comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you little of faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things." And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Today we are continuing our sermon series called enough and last week we talked about the fact that we as a society are overwhelmed by materialism we are invited to buy things that are are bigger and newer and nicer and better and oftentimes when we can't afford those things we find ourselves going into debt leveraging our future to get stuff we ultimately don't really want that much it's a tragic cycle and last week we talked about some of the consequences of that cycle our materialism run rampant in our society can rob us of our peace. It can compromise our sense of, of self-worth, but it can also keep us from giving to God. It can, in fact, cause us to withhold and steal from God. Last week, we talked about the problem of materialism. This week, we're going to talk about how we can stand up and fight back, how we together can learn some strategies that say, enough. So first thing I want to talk, we're going to talk about a couple of different areas. First thing I want to talk to you about is this thing called impulse buying. Now, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the grocery store to buy a case of Diet Dr. Pepper and some paper plates. I left having spent $134. <laughs> this ever happen to you? That's called impulse buying. I didn't go in there to get it, but along the way I was like, oh, that looks good, and that looks good, and that looks good over there. And this is a timely conversation because some of us are salivating over a Thursday. Turkey and stuffing and stuffing and stuffing. It's just a different form of bread. Like, I've never met a bread I didn't like, and stuffing's a new kind of bread. It's great. Sorry for the gluten-free folks in the room. Uh, <laughs> But some of us are actually salivating instead over Friday Black Friday, and I see some of the guys turning and looking at their wives right now. But let me tell you, this this is not a gender-specific draw. This Black Friday thing. My brother-in-law Sam's a great dude. He's bright. He, he's a good person. But when we're up there visiting on Thanksgiving in Pennsylvania and I come downstairs on Friday morning, you know, ready to get to my day started, Sam comes in, he looks haggard and beat down. And I'm like, Sam, where have you been all night? Were you, were you at a bar all night? And you go, no, I was at Belk. <laughs> oh, right. this, this applies to all of us. One hundred and seventy three million Americans will go out this Black Friday And buy stuff. We'll average, adults will average $489 that we're going to spend from Friday to Monday. And in total, the American culture, all of us put together, we're going to spend $90 billion this weekend. Wow. How can, how can we find ourselves set free from this holiday shopping? Frenzy. Well, I want to share some ideas with you. And there's an opportunity, if you'd like to, to take notes on the back of your bulletin. That's some fill-in-the-blank notes uh, this morning. First strategy for letting ourselves get out of this frenzied materialism is never go shopping when you're what? Hungry. Yes. Now, you might say, well, of course, we've all heard that before, Rob. You should never go grocery shopping when you're hungry. But it's not just grocery shopping. The University of Minnesota did a study not long ago. They had two groups of people, and they took them to a very large mall in Minnesota. And there is a very large mall in Minnesota. And they took these groups, and neither group had eaten for four hours. And they took them to the mall to do their holiday shopping. One group they sent straight into the mall, said, go do it. The other group they gave a piece of cake to and then sent them into the mall to do their shopping. Now, they weren't shopping for food. They were shopping for sneakers and handbags and the things you shop for at a giant mall. The people who had not eaten cake, when they came back and tallied up the amount they'd spent, they had spent 70% more than the people who had the piece of cake. I had to go back and check that number three times. 70% more. Why? They're hungry. And if food wasn't around to fill, to sate their need, they were going to try and get anything they could because they felt like they needed something. So, step one is don't go shopping while we're hungry. Step two, make a list and stick to it. By making a list and sticking to it, we'll save between 25 and 30% at the stores that we visit. And some of you will say, oh, that's, that's a good strategy, but what happens if I get there and it's Black Friday and, and there's this thing? And it's half off. It's half off, Rob. I mean, I have to buy it. What happens? Well, uh, here's the interesting thing about the physiological nature of our bodies when it comes to buying new stuff. Did you know there's an endorphin rush that's released when you buy new stuff? It's true. There's a physiolog, there's a high that comes from buying something new. And here's the problem with that. The problem is, sometimes then I will buy something because I want it, and sometimes I will buy it because I like the high. So how do I differentiate? Well, if I wait 24 hours, then the, the endorphin rush will pass, and I can determine whether or not I actually do want this thing. And you might say, but what if the sale's only for Black Friday? Well, to you, I would say, Pastor Mark's going to be back next week, and he'll be happy to talk with you about that then. Uh, but can we, can we talk about the problem behind the problem for just a moment? Most of us, when we go out this weekend, if we go out or whether we do our shopping by going out or doing it online, most of us are not going to be spending the, the majority of our money on ourselves, right? We're going to spend money on other people. Now, my wife is here. I talked to you last week about the frugal nature that is in my beautiful wife, and I love that. I am a contrast to her frugal nature. And what I'm trying to tell you is that I can spend money too quickly. But I don't buy stuff for myself very often. I I really don't buy things for myself very often. What I do like to do is buy stuff for other people. I love, I love giving presents. I love it. I spend too much on presents. And if I could be really honest with you, sometimes, most times, when I'm buying a present to someone to demonstrate my love and affection for them, I am buying stuff for people who already have too much stuff. Does this ring authentic to your experience as well? Most of the people for whom we are going to buy something this weekend already have too many somethings to take care of. Are you are you in agreement here? Yes. Most of us will buy things for people in our lives to tell them how much we love them. And we will, to demonstrate our love for them, we will give them more of what they already have too much of. It's like pouring water on somebody who's drowning. It's not very nice. So what's a better way? Here's the truth. You know what's more valuable to me than my time? My money is my time. My time is far more valuable to me than my money. So if I really want to demonstrate to somebody that I love them, I want to throw out an idea. What might it look like if this year for Christmas, you gave that loved one who already has too much stuff a card? And on the card was just a time and a date. Just a time and a date. February 1st, 10 a.m. I'm going to come pick you up and we're finally... We're going to go on that hike. I'm going to pack a picnic lunch. I'm going to bring some waters. We're going to go. We're going to do that hike we've been thinking about doing. We're going to visit the museum we've been thinking about doing visiting. We're going to go to that show we've been thinking about going to. Rather than giving people in our lives more of what they're already drowning in, stuff to show them our love, what if we gave them something that they actually could use, something they actually want and need? Relationship. Connection a depth of engagement with another human being. And then, rather than adding stuff on top of stuff, we're actually building the relationships that truly matter. It's one way that this year we can be prophetic as Christians in the way we live our lives. Instead of giving people things they don't want or need, we can give them things they do want and need. Okay, uh, we've talked about impulse buying. I want to talk to you for a moment about another thing that can, can really weigh us down when it comes to our finances. And I'm just going to hit this and move on, but it's this prospect of eating out. The average American family eats out 4.2 times a week on average. The average meal costs $12.75. The average American family has four people in their household. So if you multiply 4.2 times 12.75 times 4 times 52 for 52 weeks of the year, the average family spends over $11,000 a year eating out at restaurants. Now, on average, we save about 60% when we eat at home. So if we went from eating out four times a week to eating out two times a week and instead saved 60% those two times a week, we would save ourselves about $3,000 a year, not to mention the increased health benefits. So when we find ourselves in our society faced with materialism, one thing we can do to fight back is we can take steps to avoid impulse buying. Another thing we can do to fight back is we can agree that for our, the sake of our wallets and, and our waistlines, we're going to eat at home. But let me, let me confess something to you today. I don't know what, what challenge you might be facing in terms of the material world. I don't know if, if the people in this room are in debt and are trying to get out of debt. I don't know if, if your home's too big and you need to move, you want to move to a smaller home. I, I don't, I don't know what challenge you're facing. And so I thought what we might spend the rest of our time doing is looking at a process we could employ such that no matter what financial challenge we're pr- pl- uh, facing, we can find freedom from that challenge. I, I want to talk with you about goal setting today. And to do that, I want to Recall Jesus' words in our scripture passage this morning where Jesus admonishes us not to worry. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus meant we shouldn't make plans for tomorrow? No, that's not what Jesus meant. In fact, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus advocates for planning ahead. He said, which one of you, if you were going to go build a tower, wouldn't first determine whether or not you have enough resources to complete the tower? Because if you don't do that, you could get halfway through building the tower, and you'd have a half-built tower. And that's no good to anybody. People would come by, and they'd ridicule you for it because it is foolish. Jesus says we should plan ahead. So what is he talking about this morning? He's saying don't worry about tomorrow. Well, How do we do that? How do we avoid worrying about tomorrow? I would suggest there's a two-step process. The first is we make a plan for tomorrow. And the second is that we trust God. Proverbs chapter 21 Verse 5 says it this way, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. We should make a plan for tomorrow. And since we can't plan for everything, we should also trust that God is going to meet us in the tomorrow. I read an article this week, quoted a guy by the name of Dan Yu, and he said that the median savings... In the United States of America, the median household in the United States of America has $5,000 in savings. Median household. Rack and stack all of us, the middle household, $5,000 in savings. It's estimated that we're going to need between 10 and 11 times our final working salary. So whatever our salary was in our last year of work, we need 10 to 11 times that much money in the bank to supplement Social Security in order for us to maintain our lifestyles in retirement um that is a challenge and and part of the challenge is this there are there are people uh, who are out there saying right now that we are likely to live if if i'm 65 right now and i'm middle class there's a 43 percent likelihood that my spouse and i will live till we're 95 years of age we haven't we haven't planned for this 10 to 11 times our, our final working salary. Now, most people in uh, in this community make most households, the median household here makes about $104,000 a year. That means we would want to have between a $1. 1 million and 1.1 million dollars in savings in order to retire. And anybody remember what the median household in the United States has? 5,000. How is it possible that this is the case? Retirement is coming. There's a time that we're not going to be able to work as we've been able to work before. So how is it possible? Well, here's, I think, the problem, church. We, we know retirement is coming, but so many of us have bought things we didn't want or need. We bought them on credit, and now we can't afford to save for our future. So today, I want to invite us to do something different. Today I want to invite us to set a goal. So many people are in debt that they haven't planned for their future, and without a plan, what is there left to do but worry? So, today is the day we set a goal. You know, setting a goal, it's really nothing more than naming a dream, dreaming that the future can be different than the present. We have the opportunity to make a declarative statement about the future. It's setting a goal. So I'd ask you, what what is your dream for your material life? Do you want to be debt-free? Do you want to have enough money to set aside for retirement? Do you want to have extra income to be able to do things? What is, what is your goal when it comes to the material world? Let me add this about goal setting. And you will have heard this before because a couple of months ago, I shared this with Pastor Mark. And you know what that guy did? The next Sunday, he told you all this stuff. Punk. (laughs) Talking about goal setting. If you set a goal, you have a 6% likelihood of attaining that goal. But if you set a goal and write it down, all of a sudden you have a 37% likelihood of attaining that goal. Now, if you set a goal, write it down, and tell somebody, your number increases to a 64% likelihood of achieving that goal. And if you make a goal, write it down, tell somebody, and ask them to hold you accountable you have an 87% likelihood of achieving that goal. Brothers and sisters, our problem is not an achievement problem. Our problem is a goal-setting problem. And so today what I want to do is I want to challenge you to set a goal. Right now. I want to invite you to write on the back of your bulletin some financial goal for your future. Maybe I want to get out of debt. Maybe I want to do something else. And then then the process becomes really mechanical in nature. It's technical. It elicits two questions. What am I going to stop doing and what am I going to start doing? If I'm overburdened with debt, I need to stop charging things and start paying them off. If I have a home that's too large and I spend all of my time cleaning that home that's too large, maybe I need to stop living there and start living somewhere else. What is your goal? What is the thing that would help you feel freer? When it came to money, what is your goal? I want to challenge you to write that down and then write down simply, what do I have to start doing and what do I have to stop doing to get there? As, as you do that, I want to tell you and testify to this in my, my own life. You know, there was a time in our lives that Andy and I were just throwing money towards retirement. Um, and we found that we were actually pretty worried about retirement. We didn't have a plan. We just were kind of doing some savings for it. And so we became very clear about what we wanted our goals to be. We have three. First, in terms of financial goals for our future, we want to help our children get through college. I have a seven-year-old. My financial advisor tells me that if that child goes to in-state college, we're going to pay $168,000 for four years of education for him. His daughter his his not his daughter my daughter his his sister who's four years old uh, She goes to a four-year in-state college. We're going to spend hundred and seventy two thousand dollars So we may not pay for the entirety of their education, but we want to help my children get through college That's goal number one a second goal is Andy and I would like to retire when we're young enough to Enjoy our retirement So when I am 59 and she is 61 we were planning to retire and you might be doing the math in your head saying she robbed the cradle Yes, she did <laughs> Not only do we want to get our kids through college and not only do we want to be able to retire when we're young enough to enjoy our retirement if we choose to, but the third thing that we would like to be able to do is we'd we'd like to have enough money to do some fun things in retirement. Now, we have never lived, we do not live an extravagant lifestyle, but we would like to be able to go visit our children when we'd like to visit our children and, and maybe go and do some fun things every once in a while. So we articulated those three goals and we went to a financial advisor and now every single month, We are contributing in such a way that we're going to reach all of our goals. And you know what has happened? We've stopped worrying about it. We put a plan into action, and we're trusting that God is going to be with us in the future. If you have taken a moment to write down a financial goal for your future, I want to go ahead and congratulate you, because you're already 37% of the way there. Praise the Lord. Speaking of goal setting, there are some goals that we might dream about together as a church here at Ebenezer. And uh, since this is a series about finances, I wanted to talk to you about financial goals at Ebenezer Church. Last year, 2017, was an amazing year from a financial perspective here at Ebenezer Church. December of last year was the single biggest month of giving we've had in six years. And maybe ever, I just got tired of looking after going back six years, right? It was a fantastic month. December was awesome. 2017 was awesome. December was great. And then January came. And we had a rough January. And we've had some good months and some bad months since then. But we we right now, if you were to look at the amount of money we're running in the red and, and Project that against our, our our total budget. We're about seven percent behind for the year. Why? Well, I'd say there are probably three reasons. One is federal tax law changed in 2017, uh, going into effect in 2018, making the uh, tax benefit that people get for giving to charitable organizations more difficult to attain. There is, uh, the IRS projects, on average, about a 7% decline in the amount of return people are going to see from giving to charitable organizations this year, and we are down about 7%. Uh, that's not that's not all. Um, it is also uh, true that I, I came up with an idea last year. These estimated giving cards, I thought to myself, you know what we should do? We should send these to people in the mail. And let's make them really nice. Let's make it like, you know, kind of like a laminated, like a like a something you put in the book, a bookmark, right? Let's make it really pretty. And and I had this vision of people opening their Bibles next to their, sitting in their leather chairs next to their fireplaces every morning and taking out their estimated giving card, which was the bookmark, and saying, oh, thank you, God, for the opportunity to give to your work at Ebenezer. And then continuing on to do their devotions, was kind of a dumb idea that I had uh, to, to send these out that way. Uh, so, this year we're going to do it uh, a little bit differently, and we've talked about that. But I think there's a third problem. Not only uh, the tax law changes, which really, it's not just us. Uh, recently I heard that, that all churches are somewhere in the neighborhood on average of about 5% behind this year, in large part because of those tax law changes. Uh, it's, also, it's also true that uh, sometimes people give to churches because of the connection they have with the senior leader. And my friend Mark Miller had 22 years to build relationships with people here. And I'm working on it. But I think about the fact that I haven't even had as many months here as he had years here yet. So those are some of the reasons that that we're a bit behind this year. But this is about goal setting. So what is the goal then for Ebenezer Church? Well, here's the goal. The goal is that year after year after year, Ebenezer Church would land in the black so that we could continue to be creative in the ministries that we embody. Well, how are we going to get there? Good question. First thing we are going to do, we've made some some cuts uh, to our budget. We cut about $50,000 from the expenditure side of our budget this year. And some of you may be saying, why not just cut like 200000 and then you're good. I, I want you to know this. There are two churches our size in the Virginia Conference of United Methodism. The Ebenezer Church has a $2.6 million budget. The other church that is our size has a four million dollar budget. That doesn't mean we're good and they're bad. It means that we already keep our belts pretty tight when it comes to the budgeting process. But we have found some places where we can be strategic and make some cuts. A second thing that we are doing is we're engaging in this sermon series. This series where we tell people the reality of what's happening in the church and we talk about the reality of what's happening in our culture and that God calls us to something different. Last week we talked about why we tithe. We tithe because God commands us to. and We we tithe because it demonstrates an appropriate position before God, that God has given us everything, therefore I want to give back to God. We also tithe because it helps us center our financial lives around God. But there is a fourth reason I didn't talk about last week. A fourth reason we tithe, the fourth reason we are faithful to God with our finances is because through doing that, God is able to use those gifts to create spaces and places where people encounter the resurrected Jesus Christ and lives are changed. We get to be part of that work here, church. That's a good applause for a tithing sermon. I'll take it. There's a third thing that I want you to know I'm doing. I need you to know I have skin in this game and I'm committed. So I asked our our governing board to give me a $5,000 pay cut in 2019. And in addition to that, my wife and I have agreed that we're going to give about $6,000 more to the church next year. In fact, we've already started that to help with the current budget challenge. I don't tell you that because I want you to think of me favorably. I tell you this because I I need you to know that I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm already trying to do. Why? Why? why would Andy and I give like that? Here's why. Because we have two beautiful children. I give because I've got an amazing life. I give because I'm so blessed that every single day I get to do the thing that God created me to do every day. I started a few minutes ago by telling you what I do wrong that I can spend too much money on other people sometimes. Let me tell you something I do right. One of my greatest expenses every year is giving to the church. Because I believe with everything in my heart that it's true. That if we really want to see where our priorities are, we should look at our checkbooks. Or as Jesus said it, where our treasures are, there our hearts will be also. My brothers and sisters, we can choose how we will live We can make lists, we can avoid impulse buying, we can eat at home more, we can set goals and share those goals, we can take steps to reach those goals, but what we absolutely cannot do is give away our freedom. I can't say to myself, well, this is just the way things are for me, and there's nothing I can do about it. God gave me freedom, and you too. And if there is something in my life that doesn't look the way I've dreamed it should look, Today is the day to set the goal for it to be better. God gave us freedom, and it came at great cost to the God that we love. So let us use our freedom well. Let us dream dreams that are worthy of our calling. Let us employ our resources to reach those dreams, and along the way, let us find that we are freer than we have ever been. If you didn't get an estimated giving card last week, You will find them in the back of the pews in front of you this morning. I want to invite you to join with me as we bring those back next week. And as an act of worship, we're going to receive these back and pray over the life change that God is going to facilitate here at Ebenezer Church in 2019. Next week, we're going to move on in this Enough series, and we're going to talk about how we can cultivate contentment in our lives because our society continues to tell us we need more. What does it look like for us to cultivate contentment in our lives? I hope you will join us for next week, our final installment of Enough. Until then, would you pray with me, church? Holy God, we thank you for our many blessings. And we confess that there have been times that we have bought when we did not need. We've eaten out when we should have eaten at home. Confess that there are times that we've gone into debt when we should not have and lived with the debt because we thought we had to. Forgive us. Help us move towards freedom, God. Help us stand up and, and say, Enough! Help us to live in such a way that brings true glory to your name. Thank you for our many, many blessings. Help us to be faithful to you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.